Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for taking the time to join Michigan Minds. I'm very excited about the information that you're going to be sharing with me and our audience today. Can you please go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Hi, well, thanks for having me. I'm Nell Duke. I'm a professor at University of Michigan. I'm in two programs, the Literacy, Language, and Culture program within the School of Education, and then the combined program in Education and Psychology, which crosses the School of Education and the School of Literature, Science, and the Arts. And in what areas does your research focus? My research focuses on early literacy development, uh, birth to age eight, and I'm particularly interested in the development of literacy among children who live in economic poverty. So I'm sure that the COVID-19 pandemic over the last year and a half has had a tremendous impact in that area, that focus area of your research. Can you share a little bit about how this pandemic has affected your work in literacy development, particularly among children who live in poverty? The pandemic has had an enormous effect on how I've been spending my time and also on projects that I lead. In terms of how I spend my time, I saw this as I think many people at University of Michigan and around the country did as a, as a real urgent opportunity to um, try to support the work that goes on outside the university. Um, in my case, um, you know, supporting childcare centers, supporting preschools and supporting um, elementary schools in their work. And so one of the first things I did um, is developed a couple of videos about how to provide research aligned early literacy instruction remotely or via video. So I recorded those in, in my home because at the time, you know, we weren't really going anywhere. So, you know, I recorded those in my home. I edited them the best that I can. I'm sure they look very um, low level to people who have a video um, editing uh, skills, but I doing the best I can. I produced a couple of videos about this topic, early literacy development in a remote context. The first one, um, I was lucky enough to have some literacy coaches from around the state who were willing to play the role of students so I could show you know how you can do um, different things for example I modeled how a teacher can use the breakout function in zoom to listen to each child read individually which is a very important thing that teachers do but is obviously you know much more challenging in a remote um, context the second video I shot, I was lucky enough to have some real children in it who joined me from Zoom so I could demonstrate techniques um, with these uh, children. So, for example, I demonstrated a technique called interactive writing, which is really where um, the teacher leads some writing, but the children contribute to the writing as well. And it gives them a lot of important practice with some early literacy knowledge and skills that they need. And um, so I did interactive writing using like an online whiteboard so that the children were able to, you know, write into a document from, from their homes that I was writing into from my home. And so that was part of the video. So 
I produced these two videos about remote instruction, you know, quickly and got them up on YouTube um, and, and shared them on social media just to try to provide um, some support to teachers and literacy coaches and others who are scrambling to figure out um, how to, you know, make early literacy instruction work in a virtual space. So that's an example of something that I did where I sort of pivoted my work and focus quickly in response to the pandemic. And, and I know many, many other um, people all around the country uh, did that in various ways. In terms of my own research and um, development work, when the pandemic hit, I was actually um, working with closely with an elementary school to pilot a curriculum that we've been writing. And of course, all of a sudden, we did not have the opportunity to pilot uh, anymore. And uh, we had planned to pilot all of last year and were not able to, you know, understandably in the middle of a pandemic um, when you're doing blended or fully remote instruction is not a good time to try a new curriculum. Um, and so um, that really set us back in terms of um, not being able to be in schools and classrooms. In the work that I do, I feel very strongly that, you know, the best insights come when you really partner with teachers and other practitioners rather than like inventing something, you know, over in the ivory tower that may or may not be, um, you know, actually useful or practical um, in, in schools and classrooms. So it definitely set us back um, to not have that opportunity to be doing our pilot work last year. We spent that time, you know, doing more writing and, you know, more conceptualizing um, of our curriculum. We kind of got ahead on some of the writing things. And then I'm pleased to say that this year we um, are back to having um, multiple elementary schools who will be piloting our curriculum with their children and, and we just cannot wait to be, you know, back in childcare centers and schools. Well, it's really exciting that, you know, now it's it's coming back and you're going to be able to implement that. And the the videos sound very innovative and sound like a really great way to maintain that um, engagement aspect of learning. So can you share a little bit about how this past year has shaped the way that children are learning? Well, one of the things I like about the way you worded that question is that you're making a really an important assumption, which is, is accurate, which is that children are always learning. Some of the uh, phrases that are getting tossed around about learning loss or suspended learning, or those aren't really accurate. Um, children as human beings are inherently learners. They're learning all the time. So then the question is, what are they learning? And admittedly in the last year, uh, much less of children's learning on average has come from school, directly in school or even indirectly. But children are still learning other things. You know, they're learning to live through a pandemic, which I think in and of itself, you know, should be noted. Um, there are, you know, some children who've had the opportunity to, for example, spend a lot more time in conversation with their families. And that is an opportunity for learning. Um, some children have had an opportunity to spend more time with educational television, like um, the kinds of programs that are available through pbskids.org. And that um, research shows is educational um, for children. Um, some children have had a chance to cook more with their families and you know, can learn a ton from cooking. We learn about measurement. We can learn lots of mathematics from cooking. We can learn some uh, science, a uh, little beginning chemistry. We can read recipes. So there's some literacy there. So I do think it's very important for us to you know, try to maintain the stance that yes, this has been a really hard period of time. And yes, children probably 
on average, children aren't where we might expect them to be with specific academic skills um, that, that we may expect for a grade level, but they have learned a lot and they are continuing to learn and we wanna welcome them with you know, a very positive and strengths-oriented perspective on their learning. I really like the perspective that all of these other aspects are important learning too. You know, cooking, especially when you mentioned that, just the the elements of education that are underlying in everyday things that are done and the involvement that children, you know, have in the home and being able to do those things is still just, you know, constant development and advancement. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a really insightful way to look at that. So thank you. So recently you were featured in an Ed Week article that talked about the unique challenges that first graders and their teachers will face due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you share a little bit about those challenges? Yeah, I mean, every grade level, I mean, your listeners, you're remembering back to their own schooling, you know, can probably think of specific things that happened at specific grade levels that were really important. And, and so certainly I acknowledge that every grade level has, you know, certain important things that happen. But first grade is a really big year because first grade is really the year when most students learn to read conventionally. Kindergarten gets that process. Well, we, we start that process from birth, but kindergarten uh, ramps up attention to that process. And in kindergarten, your children will learn the alphabet and ideally, hopefully they're learning to begin to decode simple like consonant, vowel, consonant words and to be able to write simple consonant, vowel, consonant words. So, you know, that certainly there's important work that's going on in kindergarten and then first grade that transitions to being able to read, you know, more sophisticated words that have a greater range of, of patterns. We call them orthographic patterns, but patterns of, of letter sound uh, relationships or grapheme phoneme relationships to be technical about it. And your children get to a certain point of fluency, we hope in first grade where, you know, they can read um, text and really sound like language when they're reading. Um, and, and so it's just a, a very crucial year for children in their literacy development. And we do know that if children uh, you know, leave those first couple grades of school not reading conventionally, that is a huge challenge to overcome. And kids who are entering kindergarten this fall will hopefully have a relatively, you know, typical kindergarten year in terms of, you know, learning those things I talked about, you know, alphabet and, and simple word uh, decoding and, and spelling. But children who didn't have that as kindergartners and are now entering first grade, there's a, a lot of concern that we need to all have about making sure that we can accelerate children's progress in that first grade year so that we um, support children in any learning that they didn't have in kindergarten that we might typically expect that they had around really knowing the alphabet, knowing sounds associated with letters, being able to decode and spell simple uh, words, but then also accelerating them through the, the much more sophisticated patterns that we expect kids to learn in first grade. So this is gonna be a very, very big um, and needs to be a very intense year in terms of the quality and efficiency of our reading and writing instruction in first grade classrooms in this country. And how can parents and teachers assist with facing those challenges? 
Well, I think, first of all, teachers, you know, as I mentioned earlier, definitely want to make sure that, you know, they have a very positive, welcoming attitude. Children have done nothing wrong, as Professor Ernest Morrell at University of Notre Dame often says, uh, you know, they haven't done anything wrong. Let's keep that in mind, you know, so it's definitely wanting to have that really positive relational environment and support for children. That's absolutely crucial for learning. And then within that, doing informal and formative assessments quickly so that we have a sense of where each child is in terms of what they've learned and what they need to learn to progress in their uh, word reading and spelling abilities and also in their language development and their comprehension. So, you know, giving these assessments and then small group differentiated instruction. So that's where we place children in smaller groups to spend some more targeted time with exactly what it is that they need to know. And we move kids around in groups and you know make adjustments constantly based on the information that we're getting from assessments. So that will really help to kind of accelerate every child's progress. When, when we think about acceleration, part of it is that we're spending as much time as possible with children to move their literacy forward. And part of it is that we're targeting, you know, we're teaching what kids really need to know and not bothering to teach things that they've already learned and not bothering to teach things that really are gonna be more efficiently taught later. So that's another part of acceleration. Um, but then another part of acceleration that I really emphasize for, for everybody is just using time as wisely as possible. If you've had some, if teachers have had some practices in their classrooms that aren't really well supported in research, you know, a good example is word searches. You know, I'll go into classrooms a fair amount of time and I'll see kids completing these little word searches, but there's no evidence that word searches actually support reading development. So that's probably not a good use of time. So, you know, cleaning out any of those practices that are kind of lingering in the classroom that maybe we could afford in the past, but we can't really afford this year. This year, we need every practice that we engage in to be something that research has shown us really does, you know, move the needle for children's um, development. So that's some of the, you know, kind of advice that, that I share uh, with teachers along with just a big dose of gratitude to our teachers in this country who have just, so many teachers have just gone above and beyond what, what even seems human in terms of how uh, much they have adjusted and adapted and reached out and connected uh, with children in this really difficult time. Um, so I wanna say, say that. For families, you know, I think that the most important thing that, that I would convey to families is that we wanna not pass our anxieties on to our kids. So yeah, we're worried about where our kids are in their development. Um, we may be very concerned about whether this grade level is going to work or how it's going to work. And that's fine in our own heads, but we want to make sure we don't convey um, that to children. And similarly, that we have our ears open for any anxieties that children may have. If you think about all the work that you may have done as a, a parent or a family member preparing children for their first day of kindergarten, like all the things you did, you know, explaining what school is like and maybe walking them over to the school and taking a look and introducing them to their teacher and, you know, kind of just talking with children about what school is, is like and reassuring them, that may need to be done for every child not just kids entering kindergarten this year, because for many children, it's been so long since they've been in school that it's a distant memory for them. 
And for every or nearly every kid, it's a new grade level. So there are all the questions about what happens in second grade or what happens in third grade or whatever grade level they're entering. So just spending a lot of time with children, you know, reassuring them and, and talking with them and um, making sure that you do what you can to, you know, create a positive attitude for children and, and a non-anxious environment for children is really important. And maybe to some listeners that might seem like aside from the point, but actually what we know from research and psychology is that when children are anxious, it negatively impacts their learning. So these things are actually connected. The academic and the emotional are actually um, connected. Then getting, you know, past some of, of those in, into more, um, you know, strictly academic kinds of things, um, I would recommend to families of young children um, to take a look at the resources that are available at the Southeast Regional Educational Lab. This is a federally funded um, group and there are actually regional education labs all around the country. There's one for the Midwest as well, um, Regional Educational Lab Midwest, and they have some, some nice resources too, but the uh, Regional Education Lab Southeast has a whole set of videos and other materials for families on how to support literacy development at home that are very tightly aligned to research. And so I really trust those resources as something that families could look at um, if they want to help work with children on, on reading words or spelling words, um, developing their ability to understand uh, books and other texts that are read to them. Um, so I would, would really encourage uh, families to check out that resource. Are there any other practices or resources that families can do in the next few weeks or you know, as, as the school year begins to really help students transition? I think um, another thing beyond the, the things I've mentioned, another thing that I recommend um, to families at this time is just to really take advantage of each moment that happens in our day and think about how can that moment be parlayed into an opportunity to support mathematics and reading literacy development. Um, so for example, you know, if, if you're waiting at the bus stop with um, your child, you know, uh, resist that temptation to be in your phone and, you know, talk about the map of the bus route or talk about the signs that you're seeing and what are the letters and how do we read those words. And I mentioned the example earlier of, you know, being in the kitchen cooking and just the value of spending some time, you know, with your child in conversation while you're cooking and you're measuring and you're looking at the recipes and so on. Um, you know, taking those trips to the library that, you know, can so easily fall by the wayside in the summer when our schedules are different and disrupted and so on, but getting over the library and finding some books that your child's really excited about, uh, reading to your child, you know, all of those kinds of uh, moves just um, enrich, you, you know, what your child is bringing into that school year and, and hopefully, you know, help to build confidence and build, um, you know, an interest in digging into the really, you know, intensive instruction and in mathematics and literacy that, that hopefully children will be receiving this year. Thank you so much for adding that. So I like to ask a lot of our experts that come on the podcast this question, and it's one that um, a lot of times is really difficult to, to put into words, but what is something that you hope everyone listening takes away from this conversation? I hope everybody takes away, first of all, this really positive strengths-oriented orientation to young children and their development. Um, I've been studying young children for 
over 30 years now, and I'm still amazed by what they can do, um, by how they think, um, and by how much they develop um, in their environments. And so just keeping that really positive um, orientation, I think, is the most important thing. And if I could add something a little more technical, just that looking for those everyday opportunities to promote literacy um, with your children. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. We sincerely appreciate your time and the incredible insight that you've provided us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.